We're picking up in our series of messages called Redeeming Work, and I hope you have your Bible. And I'm going to direct your attention back in the New Testament, way, way back in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you, turn to the, if you don't know where that is, turn way over in your Bible, the last book, Revelation, and just start working your way back, and you'll find 1 Peter. It's near the end. 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you are a note keeper in your bulletin, you have places to write some things. This is not the only place in the New Testament that talks about gifts. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The giftedness, you're gifted for work. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So you might want to jot those down and go read them at a different time. And there are other passages as well. We're now in our fourth week, and if this is your first Sunday, we've been in a series of messages we've entitled Redeeming Work, and we're glad you're here, and I want to catch you up. Right now, in just a few minutes, I'm going to catch you up where we are. You can get more details by going to the website, listening to the messages, some really great stuff in there, to listen to the full course of the messages. But here is the bottom line so far. Work is not a curse. We've interpreted that, especially in the life of the church, so often that work is a curse. Though sometimes it may feel that way, but actually is a calling from God. And your work matters to God. And he will use it to change your life. And not only your life, God's going to use work to change you and to change other people around you. Your work matters, and it will bring glory to God. And you'll do a variety of things in all in in the course of your life. But God designed work to be a tool of redemption in your life. And yes, again, in the lives of other people. Work is not something to avoid. And we often interpret it that way, that our goal is to get to the end, to retirement. And then we get to rest, and that's the goal. And as quickly as we can, we get there. But that is not the context of Scripture. Work is not something to avoid, but actually to be embraced. Yet, listen, listen, please hear this. Yet work is never to be your identity. We're made for so much more than making work who we are. And in order for us to do that, we must come to God's word. We must come to the counsel of God's word. And we must look at it in the context. What would God have us to say in light of his word word to redeem work? And in order to do that, we've got to embrace what God shows us in God's word. And I believe 1 Peter 4 is one of those places that you can look. So turning our attention to God's word, 1 Peter chapter 4. As Peter writes, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then it's interesting, in verse 8, he says, above all. Now, when he says something like that, when God's word says something like that, he is saying, in context of everything that's been said before, and what I'm about to say, don't forget What I'm about to say next. All right, you listening? He says this. Above all, keep 
loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And out of that, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if we're going to talk about work in its full context, in light of God's word, we've got to get around to, all right, there's things that you're good at and things maybe not so much. What are you gifted at doing? And understanding that there is a difference when you come to God's word between gift and talent. So let's begin with a question. What are you good at doing? There are some things that you may do very fairly well, and others, well, well, you may be like me, a whole lot like me. Even though I worked for a home builder for more than 17 years at all levels of that organization, I am, God uses this to humble me, and not a lot of people knew about it, but I can't fix hardly anything. In a house. And my wife can do almost any of this stuff. We have textured ceilings in our house. Well, I had a place in my bathroom that needed to be repaired. And I told my wife, I can do that. I can fix that. And so I do, I did what most guys like I do. We, we go to Google and we look at YouTube and say, show me a video how to do this. And in three and a half minutes, they show you how to do it perfectly. And so I made sure that Amy was out of the house. Yes. Because I know what it's like to... Guys, you know what this When your wife's watching you do something that you have no clue what you're doing. What that feels like. And so I'm up there and I'm fixing. And I get down. And I take a picture of it. And I send it to my wife. And honestly, it, we would have been better off if I just turned a monkey loose in the. <laughs> and so, you know, we look at things like that and go, I'm not good at that. It was a disaster. And sometimes we feel, feel like that our life works a disaster. That it'd be better off if a monkey was doing what you do. And here we are in this series of messages about work, and we want to clear up some confusion about what role it is to play in your life. How it actually is a calling that it's good and it's meant to glorify God. And how we can serve others. But with it, we don't necessarily understand what God's Word really teaches us about these things about work and about our giftedness. And we don't necessarily know what should we be doing. We know what we can do and what we can't do well, but what should we and how do we and how am I equipped to go and do what I have to do? See, many Christians know the great inalterable truth that the greatest gift that we have is right standing with God. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 
the scripture tells us, but the mercy of Jesus Christ has visited us. It is not our, uh, our, our work that lands us right with God, but God works to bring about salvation. And the gospel is that. We are helpless. We can't do it. We make a mess of things. God intervenes, reaches to us, and redeems us and brings us into relationship. And it had absolutely nothing to do with your talent, had absolutely no, nothing to do with your gifts, has absolutely nothing to do with your work. It has everything to do with the work of God in Jesus Christ. That's how we stand right. Yet, many Christians treat that as the whole of their Christianity. They come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they conclude this. Okay, I've got my eternity sealed up. I know that I'm right with God. But Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, whatever your shift work may look like, I am then left to just figure out how to do life and work to the best of my ability. But Scripture shows us something different. Scripture shows that you have been gifted for work. You've been given gifts designed for you and designed for you to use. Your life is not to be so segregated as to miss the gifts that God has for you to work. So you arrive here this morning and there's not a thing you can do about last week. The good things that went at work, the things that did not go so well. The life that you and I have left to live is a future life. But the life we understand is often in the context of looking right now and looking back. The problem with that is that we miss this connection. We miss the connection that God designed you to work with purpose, that your life has a mission, one where his gifts come to bear on your life, that you're designed to thrive and to find joy and to have purpose in the work assigned to you. So in the time we have today, I want, to spend us, I want us to spend some time actually asking And answering, what does God want us to understand about the gifts that he gives us and how they are to be used in our works, in our work. So let's explore that today. First, in your bulletin, you can see this and on the screens. First, understand this principle. As a follower of Jesus, you possess more, far more than your gene pool. Peter in 1 Peter, Paul in the book of Romans and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 wanted us to see that as believers, we have been gifted. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. He shows us there, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Each of us has received. Every believer gets at least one. And according to Romans chapter 12, not only do you get the gift, But you get a measure of faith that will be required to exercise those gifts. So even though you know, you may know, this is how I'm gifted, it will require you to act in faith. But many of us walk around thinking a delusional thoughts because we're confused about our work. We think that our life's just... We've been treated like we're an accident. We treat our life like it's an accident. But God shows us clearly, 
You are no accident. Your life was planned. Your eye color, your skin tone, your ability, all intricately planned in the mind of God. Your time, arrival here on this planet, your place right now, right now, right here is, is no accident. And as Rick Warren said it so well, there may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. God even worked this morning to arrange for you to be here. God even worked for you to maybe leave here knowing some things that you did not know before. And come to understand or to be reminded if you've been walking with Christ for many years. To be reminded you are no accident. And you're far more than your gene pool. God designed us to know more. And the enemy wants you to just to be lulled into believing you are just the sum of what you do. And it's just not true. As a follower of Jesus, we need to understand that God is the ultimate source of your talent. We're going to talk about talents and gifts. And although talents are natural to you from inclinations and, and your genetic makeup, your heritage from parents, from people of influence in your life, and the things that you love to do and the things that you've practiced doing. These talents are meant to serve you, and they're meant to serve mankind in general. I remember in a rare, transparent moment of humility that seemed to elude this guy a lot, Barry Bonds, the great baseball player, said that the reason why he hit so well was not so much about his talent as it was that his dad played Major League Baseball, and he got to see Major League Baseball Major league pitch, pitching up close and personable almost every day of his life. And for years, I worked in sales and marketing. And I can get passionate about something that I believe in. And for a while, I felt pretty guilty about it. I thought, you know, what does this have to do with anything that's good? Then I came across by a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar who was a believer who loved Jesus and was one of the great sales trainer in the nation. And I heard him say, help enough people get what they want, you'll ultimately get what you want. And it just like the light came on. You know what? I don't necessarily have to be uh, in church work to be serving God in the greater good that God has. See? There's sources of talent, and they come from, from a variety of things in your life. And then there are gifts. See, God is ultimately and specifically the source of your gifts. And when, I talk, when we talk about that, we need to understand we're talking specifically about spiritual giftedness. Designed for use within the body, but also in your broader workplace. And we do a great disservice to God when we think that there is spiritual life and then there's everyday life. There's business and there's personal. God never designed you. That you live your life segmented, segregated, fragmented. That there's all these different parts but the Spirit of God living in you, His giftedness in your life should serve not only the body of Christ, 
but everybody that you touch. You are gifted for work. And God is specifically is the source of your gifts. Your gifts and your talents are distinct. Now, I want you to listen real carefully for a second because it's important that you understand this distinction. See, your gifts are distinct because talents can give glory to you. But the other, the giftedness, will ultimately lead you to glorify God. Because you know this, unless God acts, it's not going to work. Gifts are one of those things that when God is at work in your life, you say, if God, if you don't show up with your gifts flowing out of me, it's just not going to work. And what you get passionate about, well, typically, you're going to find some level of excellence. You, have, you may have the talent to sing. I told the first service, I've, I've stood by Roger Patterson and listened to him sing. He does not sound like his daughter, Allie. All right? He does not. You can make, some of you have the talent to make music. The talents you possess can be enhanced. Good cooks can become great cooks by cooking. Good pianists can become great through practice. But the elite, the ultimate, the concert pianists are the ones that not only practice more, but they practice much, much more. And there's glory for the one who invests their life like that. And here's a warning an admonition to you and to me. You and I must be careful as Christians to, be, to believe that we are to build our lives solely on talent alone because talent alone leads you to a comfort zone. Yes, your talents are to be used, but I want to ask you, what would you attempt if you could not fail? What would you do If it took God and it took God alone to act in order for it to work. Because God does not share his glory with others. He wants to show himself fully manifested in your life. Pouring himself out in your life. Would you risk more? Would you trust God more? Would you? Let me show you what I mean. You know, the Bible discusses all kinds of spiritual gifts. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, Paul refers to a gift that many of us may have never been exposed to. But some of you have. I've seen it. This church is full of some very generous people. Paul refers to the gift of giving. And he talks about it in generosity. This is a spiritual gift. And some of you have it. You're like my friend Jim. Now, Jim's not his real name, but I've known Jim most of my life. At 15 years old, Jim owned his first pair of shoes that no one else had worn before him. And he told me, he said, I vowed I will not live like this. And after coming to faith in Christ, After that, he told me, he said, I don't know how to explain this. He said, but all I wanted to do is I wanted to give. He said, I'd hear about something and I wanted to give. And I will tell you, some of you have this. You'll hear about a gift and your first instinct is to reach for your wallet. 
You want to help. You want to lean in. And after coming to faith, he told me, he said, all I want to do, I want to give. I want to give more. I would hear some kind of need, and I would want to find the money to give to it. And he said, but don't think too much about me. He said, frankly, I had some fear. He said, I was always afraid. I was always afraid of not having enough. And Jim said, I don't know how to explain this, but he said, God had a way of just making me understand this. Jim, keep your hand open. I'll take care of you. Keep your hand open. I'll take care of you. He also kept saying, God kept impressing me. The gift of giving requires faith. The gift of giving requires generosity. And he said, I just continually knew this was not about me. He said, I just kept knowing God was going to take care of me. And I literally was with him on the day that I saw him take $2,000 many, many years ago. And that's a lot of money in my world any day. I watched him take $2,000 and invest it in a mattress company. A mattress company. Who invests in a mattress company? It's not glamorous. It's not high tech. Six months later, he sold that stock for $20,000. Now, some of you go, wow, that's great. That gives Jim more security. No, all that did in Jim's life was just open his hands further. Because he had a gift of giving. And he was the first person who taught me well. You cannot outgive God with your life. You cannot outgive God with your resources. See, you're designed for more. Your gifts are designed by God to accomplish more. Your gifts are designed by God to accomplish ultimate good in your life and the lives of others. And Peter says this here in verse 10 and 11. He says, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This varied grace means that the way God gifts us is varied. And he talks about two types of gifts here. Two types of gifts are mentioned really in the New Testament. There are speaking gifts or communication gifts and there are serving gifts. Things that you do by action. And what I have learned from looking at this is we often will look at a text like this and we begin talking about the spiritual gifts and I hear Christians say to me, well, this is addressed to the church, to the body. And I would say back to you, yes, that is true. These were written to the church. But when we limit that, this to the church only, when we limit that God's people are to be using their gifts in the church and then they go out of here and Monday through Friday, they just operate on their own is absolutely contrary to what God's word teaches. We tend to naturally conclude that there's this spiritual life and then there's this secular life and so we segregate. So when we start talking about work, we think, oh, you know, this is what I have to do, not what I'm called to do. And I want to show you how this works, how you segregate. I can ask you a single question, and you can test whether you tend to segregate. 
Here it is. How successful are you? Now, what happens when that question comes, something jumps to your mind. Is it money? What jumped to your mind? Is it money? Is it things? Stuff that you have? Maybe it's the places that you've always longed to visit and you're, you're naming them in your head. I've got to do this and that. Maybe it's the freedom that you want. You either have it or you don't have it. And so you waste success in that light. Or power. You may feel powerless. Or maybe you own your own business and you have a sense that you have power. See, our natural inclination is often to define success by what we accumulate. What we're getting from our work. What our life vocation is. And there's a reason why. Because it brings comfort to us. And somehow we think that it protects us. You know what it's doing? It's acting like God, but it's never God. But see, God defines success and God defines life differently than that. See, God defines your success not by how much you accumulate, but actually your faithfulness, your giving, your serving, one another, what you're doing with your life, what you actually are doing Monday through Friday or whatever shift you're working, God looks at you and says, will you be faithful in that? Jesus said it well to us in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 10. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Your life is not about solely you. And you have been gifted with salvation, yes, but more than salvation. You have been gifted for eternity, yes, but for the here and now, you have been gifted for work. For God to use you strategically to bring glory to himself and to bless you and to bless others around you. Yes, your gifts are to be used for life. Yes, you may find yourself today being a homemaker. Yes, you may be a banker or a candlestick maker. But whatever you are, you are doing, whatever you're doing, you're gifted for it. And it is good to do good for others. Yes, that even includes companies and for mankind in general. You are evidence of common grace to the world. And God's gifted you to do that. What I find so often is that Christians have made a decision about Jesus. Those who would call themselves a believer. They've made a decision about Jesus. I need to be saved. They, they understand I am a sinner. And I need God to act. And that's what he did in Jesus. The work of God in Jesus Christ. God acted on your behalf. Now listen to me. Stay with me. We, and you've heard me thump this drum over and over again. I want you to hear some of you who sit in this room. You've made a decision for Jesus. But you've segregated your life. You've said, I've got my salvation. 
I've got that taken care of. God loves me, paid the price for my sin on the cross. I've trusted in Jesus. Now, I got to grin and bear it the best that I can until salvation in heaven. And in the, in, in the 20, 30, 40, 50 years that you have to live, you have this separation. You've made a decision for Jesus. But hear me. You've not made a commitment of your total life to him in whatever you're doing. And everything changes when you do. This is a principle about giftedness for work. You and I need to understand that when, when you trust Jesus with more than your eternity, everything changes. Everything changes. Your view of eternity changes and your life and your work and your meaning changes. You've been gifted for more. Now, the, by this time in a message, typically we begin drifting off. And I want you to ask you to come back to me just for a minute. It's all right, listen. Until we understand that everything can change and that you've been gifted, you will, not put, you, you will not put your whole life in God's hands. And God intended you in Jesus Christ that your life is His. And He has a desire to pour Himself out in your life. And for you, for you to make impact right where you are, right where what you're doing, when it's thankless, when it's unknown, when it's in the shadows, God wants to work in your life. See, you are de- designed and gifted for more than consuming. Many years ago, I sat with a consultant that my company paid many, many dollars for who was there to help us understand how to effectively hire top performers. And I'm going to invite you behind the curtain to hear what I've never told another audience. Brad knows this, and we talked about it. This consultant said, Brian, you should applaud two things. So in your mind, when you're interviewing somebody, you should be looking for two things. Number one, hire those who are in debt. Make sure that they have debt. And number two, encourage and applaud every time they go buy a new car. You say, well, what does that relate? Well, I don't know if you've shopped for a new car lately, but a new car many times is going to be $30,000, $50,000 for a brand new car. And when I grew up, that was a brand new house. Because people in debt, the consultant concluded, do what? They keep their head down and they keep grinding it out. They have to work harder because the pressure is on them. But as the Christians, we need to know and understand that you were designed and you were gifted for more than just consuming. And in the months ahead, I want us to be reminded. I want to talk more about this. We need to be reminded that what God is doing among us here with 2,000 people is not happening on every corner. 
And you, yes, put your name in the blank, did not design you to live week in, week out, wringing out your life, coming in, sitting down, getting a little bit of boost, and going out of here and just right back into the consumption mode. God designed you, designed me, designed us as a family to serve him and to love him wherever he has us. We are meant for so much more than consumption. And for more than that midlife crisis of wondering, does my life matter? That you've been somehow passed over. Some of you have been in a career for 20 years and you've wondered, did I miss the boat 20 years ago? And you spend your life thinking a lot about your career. You think a lot about your work. You think about all the times you were passed over. And yes, it's happened and it's heartbreaking and you don't know what to do with it. But you summarize your life that way and God designed you and gifted you for more than any kind of midlife crisis where you think, does my life matter? The answer is, as a child of God in Jesus Christ, yes, your life matters and God is going to use you with your gifts right where you are. We've forgotten it. We segregate our work life. We segregate our faith life. But it's meant to be treated as a whole. Third, you're designed for more by being set free with God's gifts. By working in God's hand at whatever you do to shine for his glory. Again, I love how Rick Warren said, work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know, where you go, he goes. He is there with you. There's things that I want you to leave here with today, and I don't want you to miss. Because some of you, at this point in the message, you go, okay, God's given me gifts, but I'm not sure I know what they are. I'm not sure what I should be doing because I don't see these spiritual gifts always at work in my life. And there's a whole laundry list of them. But I'm reminded in Ephesians chapter 2 how we go there and we, we, we talk about verse 8 that says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one should boast. And we say amen to that. I'm right with God because of the act and the work of Jesus Christ. Do you know what's wrong with that? It's stopping at verse 9. Because when you stop at verse 9, you miss the fuller weight of God's goodness hidden in verse 10. That says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, uh, through Paul, he said, we are his workmanship. Again, God worked. We're designed for good works. And God has prepared these before even you were saved. In the eons of time past, God had work designed for you to do 
that no one else could do exactly the way you would do it because by his spirit, he has gifted you uniquely. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he, he alludes this to the body. Listen, when my head is... When my head needs to be scratched, you know what I need? I need a hand. I don't need another toe. And we all are varied, and we all have gifts, and they are to be used for the glory of God. You are his workmanship. But you may think, okay, well, Brian, that's all well and good. But I, I, I work at doing things that, you know, I put stickers on a box, or I'm an accountant. I'm a bean counter. My, in fact, I think my job really stinks. So I give you warning. Uh, when you go Google worst jobs ever, I'm, you're warned. You're going to see some things that you go, oh my, well, my job may stink, but not like this one. Let me show you a couple. So this, this is a mosquito, mosquito repellent tester. And so what I find funny about this is, so here this employee goes, all right, we're going to give you a glove, all right? You're going to stick your arm in here, and we're going to spray the top of your arm, and we're going to let your bottom of your arm be lunch to a bunch of mosquitoes. Somebody earns a living this way. Praise God, whenever I spray myself with mosquito repellent, somebody has before me done this. And then there's this. This is an armpit sniffing sniffer testing deodorant. I knew you'd be awake by now. All right, take that down. You and I, in whatever we're doing, can glorify God. And so often we get camped out in these spiritual gifts in the New Testament and we, we miss the broader context of God's word. And so in fi- final illustration, I want to introduce you to two names you probably do not know. Do you know Bezalel and Oliab? It's two names most even ardent Bible students that sit in this room do not know. They are found in Exodus chapter 31. I want to show you and introduce them to you in light of God's word and his giftedness to you. Exodus chapter 31, the second book in the Bible. God was speaking to Moses and he said, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, son of Hur. Of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And I have, and behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahashmach of the son of the tribe of Dan, and I've given to all men ability that they make, they may make all that I have commanded you. It's interesting. 
we come to chapter 31, God is giving Moses instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And out of that, God says, Moses, there's two people that I have given special gifts to. You don't know them. One of them is named Bezaliel. Bezaliel means from the shadow. So he's in the shadows. And Oliab, this friend, is, his name means from the tent. Not exactly names of greatness. And God says, I have filled them with ability. I have filled them with intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship. I would add, I look at him and say, not like some of us trying to fix a ceiling. These guys are masters. And they were called to devise artistic designs to work with gold and silver and garments to sew, to make beautiful with their gifts and their talents the things that God wanted. You are God's workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. 